So keep him in prayer. He's got this bad cold, bad sickness. I tell him to stop slapping orphan kittens. He doesn't listen. So uh, I'll be sharing in First Thessalonians. Youth, you are going to be tortured and being staying here today. Yeah, be staying in here. And if you need a Bible, uh, we've got Bibles in the back. And if you don't have one, please see this as a gift from us. One of the most important treasures we have is the complete Word of God in written form. Well, let's stand. And we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, reading the first 10 verses. And then we'll pray and get into the text. 1 Thessalonians in the second part of the Bible in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then you get into Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then boom, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Now, if you have a heretic Bible in 3 Thessalonians, like Noel here, well, then you might want to get a new one. All right. Chapter 1, verse 1, 1 through 10. Paul... Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you, always making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father. Knowing, beloved brother, in your election by God. Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with much money and prosperity and overflowing of Disney joy and fuzzies, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the Macedonians and and those in Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. And your faith toward God has gone out, so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how, check this out, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. And Father, our God, the living God, the true living God, as Paul declared in this little book, we just now pray that your word would instruct us, correct us, reprove us, and build us up. We thank you for it. 
Help us to thank you for it, Lord. Sometimes we get jaded and cynical or going through the motions. Help us to appreciate what we have right here, to love it. Your word says to be enriched in the word of God and abide in the word of God. Lord, and let the teaching just manifest itself in us and do its wonderful work that it does. Lord, we pray for Pastor Pat in the name of Jesus. We all believe that by your stripes he is healed. We just pray for his healing, even right now, Lord. Even as the servant came to Jesus, the master of the servant came to Jesus and, hey, he healed my servant. And boom, he, he believed. And at that very hour, that servant was healed. Or the woman who, who just touched your hem. Who believed. Give us that faith, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you can heal. If anyone else needs healing, we pray for your healing in the name of Jesus. You're not just a God of the New Testament. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we believe in the power and the name of Jesus. So we give that to you, Lord, and this teaching, Lord, we pray for the youth that they would hear your word. Lord, we pray for the children that they would continue to be grounded in your truth and not in the amazing deception of the world. In this too, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so plop on down, have a seat, stay in the word. Please don't get distracted by Game Crush or Farmville or Facebook right now, as the enemy so often does as you're flipping through. Please watch the distractions of your, fa- of your phone. Please don't be ripped off by what's going on in the Olympics or someone who eats cheese on Twitter. So, all right, so we're in the book of Thessalonians, and Pat asked me to teach and prayed upon it, and a couple of verses stuck out to me in the past. And Thessalonians, uh, Paul in his second missionary journey. Paul, that wonderful apostle, that Pharisee who came to know Christ on that way to Damascus, had that amazing salvation experience, zealous for religion, zealous for Judaism, a terrorist for Judaism, if you will. But then, as he came to know Christ, Jesus said to him, why are you fighting against Scripture? Why are you fighting against me? It's tough to kick against these goads. came to know Christ, the truth of the Old Testament, and then became that zealous horse for the Lord and the gospel. And then the second missionary journey in Acts, he was going to go east to a minor, uh, Asia Minor, and he had that dream, as you know, that person, come over here, come over here. So he said, hey, we gotta go, we got to go west. So he and his bros went west, and they did that Grecian, actually this way, European trip, and then Philippi, and then Thessalonica, and Berea, and then to Corinth, and then back on up to where he came from. And Acts 17 tells us he was in Thessalonica, the little city there. It's a port city in Greece. He was there for about maybe three weeks, a very short time compared to other places. And then when he went to Corinth, we know he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Some think he wrote this epistle to them while he was staying in Corinth to the Thessalonians. And in fact, that city is there still today. If you want to Google after church service, Thessalonica or Thessaloniki. It's also known as Salonica. Still there today, amazing. And you can Google and you can see that they have 
beautiful, it's a seaport town. Tourism, obviously, is a big part of their economy. They actually have a statue of Alexander the Great and Philip of Macedon, which is amazing because you hear these great historians, people of history, and like, that's their George Washington. That's their great Napoleon, the great, great conqueror. That's what they're named to fame. Anyone been to Thessalonica or Greece? I haven't either, but it's there. And uh, I love to go. But it's still there today. And in fact, they say you can see across the sea, you can actually see Mount Olympus from the city. And Mount Olympus, very important to the Greeks and the Pantheon, that's where Zeus allegedly lived. And Hera, for some reason, he wanted to marry his sister. I don't know why. And then, see, that's why you don't follow Greek gods, because they even marry their sister, which is weird. And then you have Athena, Ares, and these other Greek gods, who we, you know, part of history. And then, uh, obviously, and in fact, when the Romans took it over, it was just a great way to get to Rome. It was just a great trade route, kind of like the 99 or the 5 freeway all the way from down south up north, from Sacramento to L.A. It's just a great little uh, trade route on the way. And so Paul preached the gospel there for three weeks, and it says they, they studied it. And in fact, many Greeks came to know the Lord. A lot of women came to know the Lord there. And unfortunately, some of the jealous Jews came and were jealous of what God was doing there and said bad things about them, uh, provoked them. And then Paul and Timothy, they split. They went uh, to Thessalonica, Berea. And then they actually persecuted some of the Christians there at that church. So then Paul goes down to Corinth. He stays there and he writes this letter to these churches, these believers whom he loves. And it's interesting that this church has quite the reputation already for even just preaching there for a little bit of time. What God did in their hearts and the fruit of that, what came from them, he even spoke around the known world of who they were and of their faith in him. Verse 1, so then he says, Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, the custom greeting to the letter, he's writing to these believers And he says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a customary beginning how Paul would write to his letters. But notice again the connection of God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Two distinct, two of the three people, what we consider the Trinity, the Father God, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, And Paul is very definite of pronouncing the connection and distinction and the unity of the two brotherhood. It's very, very important to be reminded about this and the connection. Uh, John was very clear. He said in uh, chapter 2, verse 22, 1 John, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so we're reminded of the truth of the Godhead. Two of the three right here. And Jesus was very clear. Say, when you pray, pray like this. Abba, Father. So not only is there a connection with the divinity with Jesus, but there is that intimate relation that we have with God. Again, he is our loving, loving 
loving father. He is called father many, many times. He wants to be known to us as our father. Jesus said, you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children. If someone asks for bread, do you slap them across his face? No, you and a piece of bread. He asks for an egg. Do you give him a serpent or a spider? How much more will your Father heaven give you the Holy Spirit? We have a Father who loves us. He even knows the very hairs of our head to the very number. He even knows when a little sparrow that Tony likes to kill and it falls to the ground. He even knows the death of that bird. Stop it, Tony. No, but we have that Father in heaven who is so intimate with us. He knows every single thought. He knows our dreams. And he's so in love with us. We have that Father. And if there's a couple of things that God wants us to know, is that is actually repeated so many times in the New Testament. Sometimes we kind of gloss over it because we hear it so much. But we have a Father. And not only is Jesus, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to remind us again and again and again. We have a Father in heaven, but we have a a Master who loves us, who laid his life down for us. But he is still Lord of all. He is Lord. He is Lord. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, from the very beginning in Genesis 3, the one who would save the world. So two truths right here. We have God who is our Father. And then we have a a Lord to serve. And yet, and the next part is something that we've got to be careful. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We see this verse many times, almost in every single letter in Romans to Jude. Grace and peace. And Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every single letter. And then Peter says it again, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So if there's one theme God wants us to know, hey, there's so much grace for you and so much peace for you, so much peace be multiplied for you as a Christian, as a believer. Again and again and again. And so if there's one thing to know, I love you, and there's a lot of grace and a peace available for you. If you just get those three things. You just get those three things. I'm your father, there's a Lord, a loving master, and there's grace and peace over and over and over and over and over. And we've heard the the definitions of grace, God's unmerited riches for us, God's riches at Christ's expense, a good little acronym. And we know it's God's gift out of his grace that we're saved, our salvation, that we can't earn going to heaven on our own. But Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he gives a great switcheroo, his righteousness for our sins. And then we don't have to go to hell. But then we have a relationship with him. We're going to heaven. And then our salvation. And it doesn't just stop there. That's initial grace just to go to heaven. But then there's that enduring grace to do that Christian life. And that's something that we, we relish our salvation from the beginning to being born, we celebrate our birthday at once a year. Or I know I celebrate my birthday once a year. Shame on you for who don't celebrate my birthday once a year. But we like to celebrate our birth because we're important. 
But then, we, that's only one day a year. We still need 364 more days to go through before we go through our special day again. And we need that grace for those other 364 days. And what is that grace? It's that word we use a lot. And sometimes as Christians we go, yeah, hmm. But we kind of, what does it mean? I don't know, but spiritual. And we're supposed to go, hmm, when someone says that, yeah. I love 2 Peter, verse chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. If you want to flip there real quick. That is a great biblical definition, just straight from the Bible, of grace. Another way is walking in the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit power through you. But if you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter, I'm sorry, I'm messing up the numbers in my head. It's clear in my head. So if I say numbers that aren't clear to you, just know it's clear in my head and you're the one who's wrong. But like talking to my wife, it's clear in my head, may not be clear coming out of my mouth. I just know I'm not wrong. So 2 Peter chapter 1. You say that, poor wife. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here is a great definition of grace. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So as we're, the importance of always be, read the Bible and praying and listening to tapes and messages and coming to church and sharing and teaching the Bible is that as we learn through the knowledge of God, we're learning more about his grace and peace. And we learn what? He's given us everything we need for our life. Everything we have, we have. He's given it to us in the person of Jesus. And he's given us everything we need to live godly, to be a child of God, to act like how God wants us to act and not how the world's trying to conform us to act. He's given us everything for life that we need, And he's giving us everything we need for godliness. And it says right there, partaking of his divine power. Now, that doesn't mean we become God. Attaching the great ball of God and I become one with him. Behold, I am one with God. No, we're accessing the life. Like the almond trees are blossoming, their roots are on the ground. They're accessing the life that's found in the ground and the life is coming through them. The tree isn't one with the earth. It's connected. It doesn't become the earth. But it's connected with the earth. And the, the resources and nutrients are flowing through it. And life is coming out. So as we're in the spirit and praying, we, through Christ, through the knowledge of God and the partaking of his life in us, we have everything available for this life and to live that Christian life, to live like God, to live godly. And... It says also that grace, he's given us great and precious promises. That's grace. Relishing and enjoying all the promises that we have in God. All the promises. And as we study the Bible, those promises are repeated and taught to us again and again and again. And it's so important to read through the Bible again so those promises become more and more real because 
what God treasures is what we, become, what we treasure more. Because the world is still trying to conform us to what they treasure. And that's our money. They want us to treasure our money, and they want you to treasure my money. And they want you to treasure what they treasure. Ever go through Walmart and those magazines? That's what they treasure. How many times do you see, be a virtuous woman, cosmopolitan, ten ways to be a virtuous woman? Every single aisle. Oh, maybe readers digested a story about Jesus during Easter time. Boom, boom. That's the world conforming us. And more and more on social media. And we have a world more and more celebrating the opposite of what is truth. We have an Olympian, which the world is celebrating. He's the new breakout star who happens to be gay. Hooray! And we're trashing our vice president who hears from Jesus and who calls out on righteousness. And we're saying, boo on him. Our vice president, our great second leader, we're trashing him and we're celebrating wickedness. That's our world. And we're a world where teachers are afraid to even call. Oh, your name is Alex? Okay, um, could you put in a basket, who, if you're a boy or a girl, which do you identify with? Because, you know, I hate to get sued and lose my life and everything I've studied for to call you the wrong thing. That's the world's system, the world's way. But as we read the Bible... We focus on what we have. We have a relationship with God. We have our sins are forgiven, and we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. He promised to be with us forever. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He promised to meet all of our needs according to Christ's riches. He says, ah, but seek first the kingdom of God. You know, the world seeks after food and clothes and cars and iPhones and all this stuff. But as a godliness, seek after me, the promises. And that's part of grace. Abiding in him through prayer and the word. Remembering those promises he's given to us. And even through persecution, I'll be with you. And you'll be more like me. And it's only temporary. And if you endure, you can get even more riches in heaven. And we're going to be in heaven for him. And again, we may be partakers of the divine nature. And again, part of that grace, living that godly life, is that next word escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. The drumbeats of lust, whatever it is, for sexuality, greed, prominence, instant fame, that heartbeat. And it's very easy to get caught up in that. I, I, my wife can tell you how much I love going to the mall. And the music... And the stimulation, and you just gotta buy, buy, buy. And you gotta get this, you gotta have 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 this, right? And, and as soon as I walk out the door, oh yeah, I gotta have this. And just for some reason, I just, you know, it's just overwhelming. And I gotta have Cinnabon, and I gotta have pretzels, and I gotta have this, and I gotta have Orange Julius. And after that, I need that coffee. And after that, and I don't know, do I need lotion for my eyelids? I don't know, you know, and thank you, Jacques. And I don't know, and uh, oh, I need to do this. And the bombardment of the needing things it comes in as soon as i walk out that door oh yeah i have to pay my gas bill <laughs> just the music stops and the hair it's uh, air hits me and oh yeah i kind of escape that system of thoughts of knee knee bye bye image 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 
And we know all those images are just godly. I can't even look at a mannequin without him. I'm like, forgive me, Father. You know, it's just horrible. Just saying it out there, I mean. And God's riches, his grace helps me escape that. That's part of grace. Enjoying him. And that, that life helps escape that. So we have everything we need for life. He knows what we need for life. Our life. He helps us to be godly. He reminds us of our promises. And he gives us the empowerment to escape what the world's trying to conform us and tear us down. And again, they're just using us for our money. That is grace. Jesus, it says, was full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. And right before it says, Moses came with the law. Now, if you see, real quick, in your Bible, you see that little butt and it's italicized, cross out that butt. Because it kind of seems like the law is a bad thing. The law is a very necessary thing. It's a good thing. He gave us the law. The Old Testament is very beautiful. The Ten Commandments very wonderful, very beautiful. There's just no life in it, but it's a standard to live by, but we need it. So Moses came with the law, but, but in comparison, not that it's a bad thing, the law is a wonderful thing. The stepping stone, the foundation is a great thing, but how much more? Now we have Jesus. The speed limit tells you 65 miles per hour. That's a good thing, the sign, but it doesn't empower me to go 65. It just reveals, <laughs> when it's convenient. <laughs> That doesn't empower me to do 65. It just tells me, hey, this is a good thing. But Jesus now comes inside of me and says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not safe to drive that fast or faster. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not being obedient. Drive the speed limit. But Jesus was full of this grace, this overwhelming life of godliness. And as we partake in him, we have all of that grace. And we have his amazing peace. Again, another, another truth that he wants us to know as a Christian. There's so much in Jesus in that Christian life to enjoy him and to escape the world. And as you escape the world, you realize, oh man, I don't need all that. And that's wrong and that's sin and it's going to hurt me. And, and it's destruction. And if you're flirting with sin... It's enjoyable. If you're teasing in your head, it is good. It's great. It's wonderful. But then there's death. The end of the movie happens. The hour and a half of pleasure is done. But then you have the rest of life. You go for the sequel, but then you have the rest of your life. So careful, Christian. If you're flirting with sin, careful. There is death. And so with this empowerment of grace, there is that wonderful peace. Peace. This is just another truth a Christian should just be having. Part of the overcoming life. This should just be coming from you. The almond trees are just amazing. All of a sudden these blossoms came out of nowhere. I appreciate almond trees because I came from down south and we have like four trees down south. And I come up here, we have meadows and trees and almond groves. And I always say, hey, look, almond trees. And my sons make fun of me. Hey, Dad, look, there's almond trees. Hey, Dad, more almond trees. I know, it's amazing. It's just, 
their blossoms and their groves, and I hear about trees, and there they are. And hey, there, there's more almond trees. <laughs> ah, bless you with more children like yourself. All right. And so I just, and all of a sudden there's blossom trees. And then you can tell on the freeway there's trees and then almond tree. Trees and almond tree. Because the white, you see the blossoms, those white and red or pink and little blossoms everywhere. You know that's an almond tree just because of all the petals on it. And if you have that overcoming, abiding life in Jesus, you should have all this peace just coming from you. It should just be this orb around you. It's just not that you're manifesting it. Not like you're some X-Men character. Peace upon me now. You know, oh, peace. How do you have this? Ah, peace. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm turning it off. You know, it should just be flowing out of us all the time. And that comes from the person who lives inside us, Jesus. Jesus promised us, John 14, 27, peace, I love the pronouns in this verse. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then 1633 of John. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, sorry, name it, claim it, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is a peace you can get from yoga. If you get peace from Yoda, a little too much Star Wars. But there is a peace you can get from yoga. Christians, oh no, doing yoga, oh no. True, I mean, I would not recommend it. There is a peace. There is peace in Buddhism. There is peace in meditation. There is peace going to the beach. There is peace with your husband and away from your husband. There is peace. The world does have a peace. Look at Jesus says. Even the, the peace the world gives, has, presents. There is a peace in uh, yoga and Buddhism. But no, like the big Buddha, the, you know, Mr. Buddha guy. He's got peace. He always seems serene with his orange robes and everyone's, oh, I don't know, and the Pope. They have, a, they have a sense of peace. But it's a temporary human peace. It comes from within. Jesus gives us his peace, the one who created the sun, the overpowering peace. How much power is in the sun? That's so much power of peace that's available from him. And you can't have an, an, a temporary peace I was watching my son wrestle, and then someone did something else, and my peace went away. And uh, that's a temporary peace. But the peace that comes from Jesus is this. It says that in Philippians chapter 4, and you probably know it. Be anxious for nothing. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, the peace from God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Through Christ Jesus. If you look at Jesus on the cross, how much peace did he just flow out of him? It doesn't say a lot of peace came through Jesus, but if you just study him, there's a lot of peace that came through Jesus on the cross. 
He was falsely accused, beaten, rejected by his own people, split by his own disciples, divorced from his father, the sins of the world upon him. And how was he on the cross? The only thing that tore his heart was divorce from the father. He wasn't, get me off these nails and I'm going to get these guys. Or father, smite them. Or why me? Come on, God, really? Really? You just have this undercurrent of peace upon the person of Jesus. And it even stemmed from Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will, Father, that submitted his friend or life and that overwhelming peace. And even Peter was about to pull out the sword and swipe people and kill them and take off ears. Jesus said, good job, Peter. No, he said, peace, take note. I got thousands of angels right now, right now, who can come to my aid. Stop tripping. Live by the sword, die by the sword. He had that peace. And we, ha- we have that peace from Christ. No matter the circumstance of the trial, you might say, you don't know my life, Micaiah. It's true, I don't. You Overcoming bills, maybe divorce issues, money, physical ailments, maybe you have molestations and rapes in your past, maybe PTSD from the military, overcoming nightmares. But the peace of Jesus, who went through the most pain, Jesus has never asked to do something that he hasn't gone through or experienced himself. Furthest. He had the sin of the world upon him and separation from the Father. He knows divorce. He knows separation from God's love. He knows to be falsely accused. And we can have that peace. And that peace, Peter says, can be multiplied over and over and over. And you can have an earth-shattering experience that you've been preparing your whole life and snuffed out. For example, what if you're a parent who's been pouring your life and your energy and your monies and your sleep into your children and at the age of 17 he's snuffed out by a bullet in Parkland, Florida? Your whole life has been devoted, dedicated to the child and boom, it's gone. Gone. It can be earth-shattering and sometimes if media thinks, and I'm not to ever... put it down as if we never had tragedies or horrible things happened. In fact, I read a story two nights ago in 1906, April 16th, San Francisco had the great earthquake. Not evil, but tragic. But what happened after that is that two men and some associates known as the gas pipe thugs wanted to make some easy money. 18-year-old, 20-year-old, and two others found some gas pipes bludgeoned people to death just for their money. Businesses. Coroner, then clothesman, and a banker. One held the head, the other bludgeoned. Boom. That was 1906, almost 112 years ago. Evil. They're known as the gas pipe thugs. We've had evil in World War II. It's been going all the way even to Abel and Cain. And it's even thought, there's a verse in Revelation where Cain possibly slit-throated Abel. Evil. Evil's been with us, and evil will continue to be with us. 
But with that, we can still have that peace of Jesus. That marks us between a Christian and a not. That we have the peace of God that even through the circumstance, that's not going to move us. Even as horrible and heart-wrenching that is. Because that peace comes from him and not in the peace that my sons can be a nice and well-groomed college career and beyond. Because our peace comes from him. And it comes from abiding in him. We have that treasure. Uh, my wife has given birth to five children. Our fourth one lived for a day. Baby Zion. He was known as soon as we had the ultrasound. The nurse figured out something was wrong. And he had a defective heart. Undeveloped heart. It wasn't growing together. And they weren't sure what to do, how they could work on it. He can be on drugs for the rest of life. He can have some operations or he can let him move on. Or he can have a heart transplant. But they weren't going to know how it was until the baby was born. So Cecily gave birth at Loma Linda down south. They rushed the baby out, didn't even get to hold him. And then a few hours came by. Two doctors came in and say, He's, it's too undeveloped to have surgery. You have a choice. So we prayed and called everyone we knew and prayed that hopefully God would heal him. And then the next few hours later, slowly we saw his oxygen levels go down in his last heartbeat. And then... And after that, he died. And then we're kind of in the little, this hospital room. And I had my friend, I called my friend, he called me, Leif Jacobson. He prayed for me. He's like, let me pray for you. And as he prayed for me, uh, an image or a vision came in my head. And it was as if at the very front entrance of the hospital, Jesus was standing there behind the entrance doors, glass doors, and he was holding the baby in a yellow blanket. And Cecily and I were in the parking lot as if going away, as if you leave your kids to the babysitter, and the babysitter says, it's okay, we'll be fine. You guys have a great time. Come back soon, and don't, we'll be fine. You go on. You can leave, and you can trust us. And that was the sense I had that, Jesus, I'm going to hold this baby now. You guys, he'll be fine. You go, you can, it's okay now. You can go on with your life. And I, I could trust that, you know, He's going to take care of our baby. And thankfully, because of our walk with the Lord, it wasn't earth-shattering. I don't want to ever take away from anyone's loss of life or situation. But it wasn't my peace. It was just abiding in him and in prayer. God's into control. His will be done. Henry, not Henry, who's the, uh, the missionary, Hudson, to China. Hudson Taylor. Many, three wives, many children died in China. And there's the analogy where a couple of gardeners were gardening the master's house, and they worked on the flower gardens and all that, and there's these special little flowers this one gardener loved to put in and, you know, prep and garden and fertilize and water and watch it grow, and he loved these little flowers and loved watching them bloom and grow. And one day he noticed one was gone. Like, who, what, how, who, how, who dared take a, my flower, this precious flower? What happened? If I find that person, 
what, what, it was just a pretty little flower. What are they doing? The other gardener said, the master chose to take it. So it was the master's decision, and he was in charge of the garden, not the servant. So from that, from our faith in the Lord, he was able to get through. That's just one story. If you can know my mom, my mom was one of the most precious women who knew Jesus so much. She loved Jesus. Sadly, she, had, she was bipolar, she had mental illness, and she had mental breakdowns systematically since I think she was 30 and throughout my whole life I could see she had mental illness and breakdowns and she had to be institution, institutionalized. And then one night, I said to the second to last time I was just married with Cecily and I had to bring her, I, we just had to watch over her. And The second to last time I said, if she breaks down one more time, I can't, she has to be institutionalized permanently. It's just not healthy. And in fact, in the middle of the night, less than 24 hours, she had a mental breakdown and boom. And then after we got her situated and I had to go to her and I had to say, Mom, you know you can't come home again, right? And her response was, I know. I understand. And then for the rest of her 10 years or so, she would be in a crazy home with crazy people. Sometimes she was lucid and sometimes she was not. But the fact that she had such a grounded life in Christ, the life and the abundant peace flowed through her, flowing through her, partaking of that divine nature, she was able to submit to that situation and have that peace that overpowers the situation even in those darkest of hours, and have that peace of Jesus through the darkest time and into the end. That peace that Jesus had, not my will, but your will, as he picked up the cross and determined to go to Jerusalem and determined to go to Calvary. That peace that flowed from the Father to Jesus and that we have Christ, that peace is available through us. So no matter the situation and the hardship, and I may never know, but God knows, and that peace, because it flows from him, is available it is available. And that's what we want, we need to be remembered. So he says, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And just in verse 2, here is Paul. He says, as he's in Corinth, we give thanks to God always for you. And you ever think, like, if I can be like Paul, man of God, never bends, awesome, never blows it, always fighting, picking up the banner for Christ. I want to be like Paul. Well, here's the key. We give thanks to God Sometimes because you serve at children's ministry. Always for you all. He prayed. It says even in Ephesians 1.16, he was praying for the churches continually. He just had that mind to be praying for the churches. It's a trained skill. It's a trained thing to do. He maybe had post-its, pray for this church, pray for this church, pray for this church. But he was praying 
continually. And he was thankful for each of the believers. Now we know that each of those believers were perfect Christians. And they got along with everybody. And they loved each other. And they never had any personal conflicts. And they never had bad hygiene. And they always said the right things to their husbands. And, they, and their kids never had problems. And their kids never said something that would make the parents would want to slap them across the face many times. <laughs> it was a normal church, tall people, short people, rich people, broke people, cars breaking down, cars not breaking down, children perfect, not children perfect, children who were always content with what they had. So... No, it's a typical church. And yet here Paul was thankful for them. Thankful for them. He was thankful for them. And one thing is to be thankful for everyone. If we look around, we all know our strengths and weaknesses here. We do. Our strengths are so apparent. Like Tony's hair. Wow. Wow. That hair, I, I don't think it's real. I think it's, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's, yeah, he could be a weatherman, we know, for the local K Cray on Channel 4, we know that. No, well, there, Tony, no. We know our strengths and weaknesses. And yet, Paul, he saw all their strengths and weaknesses mature Christians and the baby Christians, the one who was that great evangelist and at the same time cursed when he stubbed his toe. He's seen it all. As these, these Christians, they're like, dang it, woman, really? And, oh, come on, we got to go to church. Come on, sons, knock it off. <sighs> really? Did you have to make that smell in the car again? Come on. You know, Paul loved every single one of them. He was thankful for them. And as a church here, we need to train ourselves to pray for each other. And pray and be thankful for each other's strengths and pray for their weaknesses. So often or not, the devil will come and he'll bring upon someone's weakness, like with my wife, whatever small imperfection she might possibly have, and then he'll bring it close to my eye. Look at that. Oh my goodness. How can she live with that wart the size of a watermelon? And my goodness, how can she ever think that? and then she'll, he'll compare that tiny little insignificant weakness, bring it to my eye, and then compare it to a great obvious of somebody else. And that's what the devil likes to do. He'll, he'll, he'll explode this horrible microscope problem and compare it to you or to somebody else. Look at him. And then not seeing the whole picture, like not appreciating the obvious strengths or the development or the maturity someone might have, and all we do is see that little thing that kind of irritates us. That's what the devil does. He does it very effectively. You take a quarter, and you can block out my face. You can, no, you can block out the sun. That powerful sun, and you can bring it up, and you can totally block it out. That sun... I can block it out. Not to mention it gives life for the last 6,000 years to at least 7 billion people. Constantly, every day, very, you know, diligent. And that's what the devil likes to do. Our little weaknesses and over eclipsing the great gifts, the developments, or even the appreciation you're a Christian. You follow Christ. 
Not everyone on my work follows Christ. You follow Christ. You're a believer. Hallelujah. We can praise God without feeling weird talking about Jesus at work. It's normal and relaxed. Hallelujah. That's what the devil does. And so here, Paul is praying for them, thanking. We need to learn. It's a developed skill. Because sometimes I'm fighting with someone in my head. I don't know why I'm fighting them, but that's the devil does. Fighting, fighting. Division. He loves to cause division. Divide and conquer. But no, we have to stop and pray. Pray for them. The more you pray for them, the more you appreciate them. You pray for their strengths or in the, or in their, in their weaknesses and their needs. And you develop a love. And Paul was developing that love for the church. For the churches. And as, if you want to be like Paul, we have to purposely pray for each person. There's someone in our congregation who I just want to like say, stop it. It's Pat Carter. Because in the mornings when he prays, he will pray for every single prayer request that you have put on Facebook since like 2014 and remember every single child. Like he would pray for my children. Like I have that many children? You know, he remembers all your children and all their prayer requests from 2014 on. He'll go on and on and on and on and praying and praying and this person and this person and this person and this person. Like, wow. He lets me pray for a second and he'll go on and 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 I'm sorry I prayed so much. Yeah, I know. That's why your mustache is so big. You just keep, you know. But he always is praying for everybody. He's just praying for you guys all the time. He just, he just, so what he does is what he is. And he, a mark of a mature Christian. He loves everybody. So for us, are we looking around? Praying for each other. Are we writing their names down? If that's what you got to do. Sometimes, you know, when I do in my prayer folder, leaders and then people A through G and then H through J and L, so, or maybe the bases and other the leaders of our country or missionaries, but get the bases covered when I do. But that, a mature Christian like Paul does, he is giving thanks and making mention of you in prayers. Verse 3, then he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and a patience of hope in the Lord Jesus in the sight of God and our Father. Now, he's now noting that you have work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Now, if you go to verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 9, he contrasts them for who they used to be before Christ. He says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and we waiting for his son from heaven. So there was an obvious change before and after, before Christ, after Christ, serving themselves, loving lust, shacking with people, getting drunk, getting greedy, not loving the neighbor as yourself, doing what you want to get done, you know, clicking on things you shouldn't on the internet, um, not loving your family, being selfish with your time, and yet, boom, change of face. There is a, there is a contrast, and Paul only spoke a few weeks with these people. There is such a power of the gospel. He even mentions, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what that church was looking like. There was a change in their life. And sometimes I'll ask Christians, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. 
and I'll kind of feel them out. So did you know a difference between before Christ and after Christ? Oh, no. Hmm. Hmm. Now, you don't have to have this great emotional experience in front of me, or because some people are very emotional and some people are very reserved, but you know inside there's a dramatic change. Even when you get married, some could be the most bubbliest person in the world, and the other person's like a statue. But he's very happy. He just is not very expressive. But there's a definite change in his heart when he got married. And then I would ask other Christians, do you know a difference when you came to know Christ? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they may not be bubbly, but oh, yeah, there's that look in their eye. Oh, there is a definite change. I came to know Christ. Like, that's a born-again person right there. And then not only is it knowing that walk presence of God, we see what it looks like. And this is a mark of a healthy church and a mark of a healthy Christian noting somebody else what they're doing. Works of faith, works from faith. Because of their love for Jesus, they're serving what God's called them to do. Labors of love. And like I shared with the giving, it could be labors of love, labors from love. And sometimes, and the Bible says to be zealous for good works, and usually when God prompts us to do something, it's because we're not doing it, and he tells us not to do something because we're probably doing it. And he tells us to be zealous for good works, because oftentimes we like to go on cruise control. But he says, your works of love. Sometimes in ministry, we can get jaded, worn out, and we're missing the heartbeat of Jesus. We're missing his love. And not to be manipulated. And sometimes there are seasons to serve and seasons to stop. But as we're abiding, that love of the Father should be blooming in our hearts. Or if we get our eyes back on the cross and of his promises. And like any true father, I'm more concerned about loving my children. The father's more concerned about showing love to me. And I respond out of his goodness to me. And that naturally is an empowerment to want to serve to want to share, to keep reaching out to those who don't know Christ or maybe need help or whatever capacity. They were known for their works that came from love of God. And not to show themselves off, to be showy. It was from that love of Jesus flowing out and they were serving and loving one another. And Paul was thankful for that. And it's healthy to look around our church and to say, God, thank you for what that person is doing. Thank you, God. Because here Paul is thanking them for their labor of love. And as we look around, it's healthy to say, thank you, God, for what they're doing. That's awesome. And you can even encourage them. You know, what you're doing, thank you. That's awesome. It just blesses me. And even in your heart, to say, wow, look what they're doing. Thank you, God. That's awesome. Awesome. And even other churches who aren't named Calvary Chapel, who are doing the work of the Lord and other ministries. Thank you, God. You're still working. You're still saving souls. You're still showing concern. Thank you, Lord. And then we see the patience of hope. And this word, patience, could be translated endurance, perseverance, And a mark of a mature Christian, he just perseveres through his life. Steadily walking with Jesus, doing good works, not being a showboat, 
keep serving in front of people, behind people, still reading, still serving, enduring, being patient, holding on. But a mature Christian just doesn't hold on because that's what I got to do. I got to go to church again because it's what we do on Sundays and I hate to blow my reputation and come on, yeah, church again, but yeah, you know, but I'm going to just keep marching on and it's what we do. It says the endurance, the perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight, it could even be translated before God. A mature believer is practicing the presence of God and he's putting his endurance in the hope of Jesus. And our hope is we're going to heaven and he's coming back soon. Every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians talks about the coming of Jesus. If you notice that, if you read 1 Thessalonians, the coming of Jesus. That is one of our great, great hopes. He came literally, and the world will accept that the first time. But Jesus Christ will come again. And he will make this world as it should be. He will come in glory and in victory and in the power of God. Jesus Christ is coming back. And as we hold on to that promise, we can persevere in our labor for the Lord and in this weird and disgusting world. He's coming back. And as the days get darker, and as the world is celebrating sin, unrighteousness, transgenderism, bestiality, you're going to, I predict, the age of consent is going to get lower and lower and lower. And you can even see movies that encourage uh, molestations or children and kids. It's going to get wicked and wicked and wicked. It's just going there. And schools are going to promote it. As the days get darker, the glory of Jesus Christ's return is even brighter one more day. Our hope. That is our hope. Not in ourselves. Not in our money and our bank accounts or what our children's going to do or we're American or not American or who we vote for or don't vote for. It's in the promise of Jesus Christ, of who he is and the promises tolling to us. He is coming back and he will restore all things and we will be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, if you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can believe he is coming back again. And that is our hope. And that is our hope we can give to others, even through tragedies. Even if our sons and children are wiped out, or our husbands are wiped out, or we're fired. We can have that peace because, hey, he's with me, and it's going to be okay in the end. It's going to be okay in the end. It's going to be okay in the end. Because Genesis 1-1 is true. I base my life on John 3, 16. I base my life on he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm basing my hope he is coming again. All the promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We can persevere. And if we start to, whoa, fishtail on the road of life, we go back to the side of the cross, back to the side of Jesus, and we get stabilized again. Even if we get broadsided, banged up. That's our hope. That's our perseverance of hope. And that's what Paul was commending them for. And they were known for that. Verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Verse 7, 
so that you became an example to us all, Macedonia and Achaia, who believe. These are great spiritual lessons of Christianity we can learn from an imperfect church in Greece a couple thousand years ago. Still true for us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that reminding us that no church is perfect and everybody's got strengths and obvious weaknesses and obvious maturity issues and but you held it together and you loved it and you want us to think how you want us you want us to think how you think to treasure one another to pray for one another And to hope in you and to keep abiding and have all that grace and peace available in you. Father, we, we pray for those in Florida. And we, I don't know, those 17, 18, and even, we pray for them. Dear God, have mercy on them. Let them experience your peace. Father, please. And if anyone here is experiencing something so horrific, we pray for that peace. And that grace to keep going on and trusting, even though it might seem like the ocean just torments you, just pounds you with grief, or, I don't know, waves of, I don't know, just slam you. But then that peace can bring you back up. And then you get slammed again, but that peace will bring you back up, and that gets slammed again, but that peace keeps you. We thank you that we don't need to manufacture it. It comes from abiding in you. Help us, Father, to hold on. We thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one more.